Welcome to the Beekeeper's Corner Podcast. August 12, 2021, episode 200, Milestone 2. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Beekeeper's Corner Podcast. I'm Kevin England, and I have Bob Floss with me here today. And this is a first for us. Uh, thank you to EAS. We're doing this one live. I typically record in my basement all by myself, sitting in my man cave. So it's kind of cool. EAS 2021, be connected. It's a cool theme because... I can't think of, after the year of COVID, what it's like to come back to a conference where everybody's kind of hanging out and getting to connect and see what's going on after being away so long. And I really do feel the camaraderie in the audience. Uh, I have on my side, as it should be for the 200th episode, Bob Kloss. How are you doing, Bob? Uh, great. Great to be here, Kevin. Thanks. You know, there's some of you that are not familiar with the program, and we'll, we'll tell you a couple things about the way the show runs, but Bob's like my Robin to Batman. He's my sidekick. He's always been there. March 2nd, 2014 is when Bob came into the show. Uh, the show was called The Way of the Future. I worked a long time, and I should say that I started this show April 30th, 2010. That's like 11 years and X number of months. And I think back to whether or not I was going to uh, keep producing the show. And 11 years, three months, 141 days ago, and we're still at it, which I think is kind of cool. So we're going to share some memories, stories, because Bob's been here a lot along the way. We're going to engage you partway through, just ask if you have any questions or comments. Uh, things you want to yell at me for that we've done over the years for the podcast. And there'll be a short little introduction for those who've never been to the show, understood what it's about. So if I start from the beginning, if you'd asked me whether I was still doing this, I don't know, you know, and I think what happened is the format of the show kind of evolved as all podcasts do. And I settled into a groove and I'm really proud of the way the show works because I always envisioned like two beekeepers at a bar. And I say that all the time. There's nothing better to eavesdrop on two people standing there talking about beekeeping when you love beekeeping. And Bob and I have shared that together for so many episodes. But when Bob's not there, I'm talking to you, (laughs) the audience, because I envision I'm having a conversation with somebody. Two beekeepers talking to, you're my friend in beekeeping. So, I've always enjoyed that because, you know, I'm assuming that when I talk to people, they'll take the time to write back to me. And I have to say that I'm not there simply entertaining myself. I do get a lot of feedback from people that connect on the different things that I talk about. And I think it opens it up for people to reach back to me. Um, My other fame, if you've seen this, two minutes of fame, is the euthanization video on YouTube. We love it, we love it. I don't understand, but, you know, so YouTube picked this thing up and it put it into general rotation. I meant it for beekeepers. How many of you really knew what to do when you had a hive that was just berserk? I, I recorded it for beekeepers and it got picked up. I walk around at work and people stop me. 
I, I work in Princeton, and I was in another office somewhere. Somebody said, I know you. My wife just showed me a video of you last night. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm the euthanization video guy. But I'll point out that that video, three point something million views, doesn't compare to Bob's video. Bob's got five million views. Yay. Bob's, Bob's awesome, right? Um, I would say humility-wise, one of the things that I get feedback from and I'm uncomfortable with and it's kind of weird, but I've embraced it, is that people follow me and they actually follow what I do. And I've had people write back and say I'm like a quasi-mentor to them. I don't point that out to pat myself on the back. I point that out is that puts a lot of pressure on me <laughs> because I feel like it made me tuck in and say, you better get your act together because what you're saying, people are following and doing. In the beginning, it was just kind of recording things to pay attention to what I was doing and keep a journal of it. But when people started to follow me, I started to take it serious. And it's part of the reason that I became an EAS Master Beekeeper. And I, I love the fact that it made me, forced me to become an honest, like, honest to goodness, you better know what you're doing, beekeeper. Now, some don't agree with what I do. And I think, you know, the old ask 10 beekeepers and you'll get 20 answers thing plays into that. But um, I, I'm kind of uh, okay with that. I like people to challenge me. One of the great things about a show or your interaction with any other beekeeper is they may not agree with you or they tell you an alternative way. And it is a perpetual learning experience. And I think... Uh, my best mentor in that is my friend in beekeeping. Bob, how many conversations do we have where we have... No, that's not right, right? Yeah, we've done it a lot. It is. It's, it's a continual learning experience as a beekeeper, and you've actually documented it on all of these episodes. <laughs> yeah, and we've changed our mind on things uh, as we've evolved and learned things. And, you know, one of the other things when you put together a podcast episode mm -hmm. is you have to figure out the beginning, the middle, and the end. And as I've learned different things, like how to bees over winter, I've been able to articulate that through the podcast, but I take it and become part of mine, and it helps me to train others. And so the show has been really beneficial, but, you know, one of the things that stands out for me, and Bob, I want to go back and forth with you on this, is the things that we've done and gotten ourselves into. We're known as the Gadget Garage guys, and for a period of time there, we were on a bent to go seek out all these things crazy things. What are some of the crazy things that we built? Well, I bought, built my own uh, BVAC out of two five-gallon buckets. Um, what else? I have this one rig that you stand up against a tree, and it's got a pulley on it, and you pull the swarm trap up. It was in Bee Culture magazine. I have one of those in my garage. So, you know, all the kind of crazy left-field ideas. We built a lot of that stuff, and I, I think back to the different stories that I've told I went to Italy for work, and I was in a hotel room, and, and I kept telling the hotel people, I would love to meet a beekeeper. Do you know any beekeepers? So the lady, as I was walking through the um, entry one day, hands me a piece of paper, and it has a name on it, Giancarlo, and an address. I'm in Italy. I'm driving a smart car, wrong side of the road. I drive out to this address, and there's no Giancarlo. There's some guy washing his car in the driveway. I start talking to him, he doesn't speak English, but I say, I'm looking for Giancarlo. 
and I try to explain to him, a beekeeper, he gets all frustrated over this chain link fence and he points at me and he points at the car and he runs to his car and he opens the gate and he gets out and he drives down the road. I take that to follow him. We were up on this mountain going down this road like this. He drove down. I had no idea where he was going. He went 100 miles an hour. And he pulled into this driveway around a bar, around a bus lot, down through this dirt road, and I saw beehives. He took me to Giancarlo. So it's kind of like those stories that got encapsulated that are a lot of fun. Uh, transporting bees home. One of our beekeepers had a little testy hives. I put the nuke in, there were bees all over the place. I drove home, because I was in my hometown, got a suit, and drove home in the suit. And I remember pulling up to the stoplight in town, we only have one, and looking over at the people next to me wearing my suit with bees flying all over the place. Uh, Bob, we, we went to Malawi together. Yes, we did, that was back in 2018 with Tim Schuler. Did you remember any of the crazy stories we got into there? Well, the funniest thing for me, I don't know if I should tell this story, but I will. So in, in Malawi, if you get electricity for six or eight hours a day, that's a lot. So my friend Kevin here sleeps with a CPAC machine because he has a little bit of a problem. So guess what happened the first night we were there? About two o'clock in the morning, the power went out. <laughs> yeah, the thing started screeching because it had no power. So that's one that stands out. But I mean, there's these encounters with beekeepers that we've had over the years. There was a Malawi beekeeper who was the host for us. He used to ride to the meetings. Some of them were, were 20 miles away. We'd ride on his bicycle. He was dressed in his Sunday best. He wore a suit everywhere we went. It was 98 degrees, 100% humidity. Look, we were in shorts, sweating to death. He wore a suit jacket. We went to his house. His hives were just... A mess because they don't have any wood there there is no wood and they've cut all the trees down for fuel and food but he found wood to scavenge together his hive and I remember walking up to him and he made this gesture like solidarity standing there in his suit and I took my camera out and I took a picture and to me we don't know how good we have it and I just the pride that emanated from that guy in that moment and it, and it was cool. It was just a moment. Um, the Hive Tool segment, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I got accustomed to listening to every one of Kevin's podcasts starting around episode 50. And I would provide feedback. And most of the time, I liked what I heard and I'd make a little critique here and there. But on uh, what episode number was it? Do you remember? 139. So on episode 139, <laughs> Kevin did a little segment, uh, what he calls a round table or whatever, however he called it, on a, a hive tool. So I listened to the first five minutes of it, and, okay, and then it was 10 minutes of it, and then it was 15 minutes of it. Well, it started to get be 20 minutes talking about a hive tool. A hive tool! So that was where I said, you know what? A hive tool is a pry bar. That's all it is, a pry bar? I'm done. Well, guess how long he went on for that? Tell me, take a guess. How long do you think that segment was? 40 minutes. 40? No, more. Oh, yeah. I, I it was 51 minutes talking about a hive tool. That was, that was the only one. The only ones I said to Kevin, Kevin, I had to turn it off. I couldn't listen to the whole thing. There's a lot to explore about hive tools. 
There was yet the Celtic honey episode. Yes. We were doing oxalic acid vaporization. We were shooting a video for the YouTube channel. And at the end, we were kind of milling around with the neighbor who helped. And I said, you know, we, we need to uh, celebrate the fact that you came and helped us out. So I went in and got a bottle of whiskey. And then we decided we were going to record the podcast. And we finished the bottle. Then we decided we were going to go in and do something with a hive. And you dropped a queen on the ground. Yeah, and there we are, looking for this queen in the grass that's about this high. And we did eventually find her. But that, me, that was probably the most two beekeepers at a bar episode I think we've done. Yeah, neither of us are big drinkers, so it didn't take a whole lot to get us a little tipsy. I think the thing that I'm most proud of is in the beginning, I was trying to figure things out, how to say it, how to do things. And one of the episodes I wanted to figure out for myself how to, how to bees over winter. And I worked through the whole thing. And then I was brave enough to come in. It was episode 10 called The Heat Is On, where we went over how bees overwinter and cluster and what happens inside the cluster and all of that. And it's just, I, I can't express what it's like to put yourself out there, right? If you've ever done public speaking, imagine you're doing it on a bi-weekly basis and people are writing in. And if you look on the homepage of the, of the BK Corner, there's a graph there that shows where people listen from. And I have people writing me from Europe, New Zealand, France, um, you know, South Africa, other places. And it, it's kind of cool, but it's really nerve-wracking all at the same. Um, one of the things that's become a dynamic is being recognized at places. And I went to my first EAS meeting that was in New Jersey and I was sitting, getting ready to record one of the speakers. And the two guys in front of me turned around and said, are you Kevin England? And I said, yes. They said, we recognized your voice. We just came in from Michigan and we listened to you all the way here. We're about seven or eight episodes in. And I have that all the time. Somebody stopped me as soon as I walked in. They were standing there talking to the vendor and they stopped and they turned around and said, I recognize your voice. How do I know you? And it happens all the time. Now, the funny thing is I have a twin brother who sounds exactly like me. So, so my best recollection was back in the, at EAS in 2018. So we were done for the day and we're standing in line to get a drink and we're chatting back and forth. And, and all of a sudden, the guy in front of us turns around and he goes, you're Kevin England and you're Bob Claus. He turns to the bartender. He says, buy these guys a drink. And I said, you know what, Kevin? We've made it. We've made it. We have people buying us drinks. It doesn't get any better than that. That's pretty cool. I'm going to tell a story on Bob. Uh-oh. We were going to have Randy Oliver over for our club. And we did have Randy Oliver. He stayed with me. That's an experience in itself, by the way. We went up to go see Randy Oliver, and Michael Palmer was going to be there. And all the way up, Bob was... Gaga over Michael, but he always tells me, you know, this Michael Palmer, he does this and he's, you know, this guy from, I don't know who Michael Palmer was. This was early on, all the way on the drive up to Albany. He's like, Michael Palmer, Michael Palmer's going to do this. He, he does Queens, he does Queens in his cars. And, you know, we get to the event and Michael Palmer walks in and he goes, oh, there's Michael Palmer. 
We were about 20 minutes into it. They were just about to get started. Do you remember what happened? Yeah, the fire alarm went off. Fire alarm went off. They made us empty the building. We walked outside and we're standing on the sidewalk. And who walks up and starts to have a conversation with us? Michael Palmer. Michael Palmer. <laughs> and Bob was so gaga. It's like one of those, I'm never going to wash this cheek again <laughs> moments. And I just remember teasing him all the way home. You know, that was Michael Palmer. We were talking to Michael Palmer directly. And Mike is such a neat guy. He's so approachable. And, you know, but nowadays I have people walk up and, and like we met Kim Flottam. I'm sure you all know who Kim is. I went to speak in Maryland and Kim was the other featured speaker. And I had breakfast with Kim Plottam and I had that moment, like I had breakfast with Kim Plottam, it's kind of cool. And the podcast has afforded me the ability to connect with people, both regular beekeepers, and I've interviewed probably dozens or so, and some notary, notary, notable people. And, you know, I just, I look at show 200 and I say, I can't believe it. You know, what's funny is at show 100, I changed the artwork. And I made a hundred covers, each one with the number one, two, three, four to two hundred. And I'm thinking, if I ever get to two hundred, that'd be really cool. Well, here we are. So I, I'm kind of, you know, excited to be here. Uh, one of the last things that I'll say about just reflections is friendships. Over the years, people I've never met, but I feel like I know them. Um, I'll say names, not to slight anybody, but people who consistently stayed in contact, even from 2010 on. Nick Jordan, Joe Lewis, Justin Schiffler, Sergio Mutella, John Gott, who's here, uh, Doug Kelly, Rich Morris. And I, I could keep going, and, and I've interviewed Jeff and other people, Lainey Simone, who's here. And the tagline for the show is, when beekeepers go together, they can accomplish great things. And I have learned so much from the people that I've interacted with that I've embraced the, the role of it and really enjoyed it and plan to just keep making more shows. And yeah, 51 minutes for a hive tool. That might have been a little too long. But, you know, there's some, some cool episodes back. I, I, I have people who come to me and tell me the things that um, I've covered that stuck with them that I didn't even remember. But there's other times when I go back and listen to the local hive report. How many of you know what the local hive report is? I've been tracking what happens in my yard every episode. I just tell you what's going on. And I think I changed the show where I put the local hive report at the end recently because I just didn't know if that resonated with everybody overseas that, that has different conditions. Some people wrote in and said, that's their favorite part of the show. They learned so much. And one thing you'll know about me is I'm equal opportunity. If I screw up, I'll tell you what I screwed up on. I don't mask or hide anything on that. And people appreciate that because it, it's the way they, they get themselves in trouble, you know, and that they can figure out how I get out of things. And I sometimes don't. Um, the other thing about the curiosity of beekeeping, and Bob has helped me and, and has done this, is I have all these hives. I have a Ware hive, a Lands hive. I have a top bar hive that I made, which is a Kenyan top bar, but it's Langstroth format. And I just like playing with different hives and learning from them. 
and then being able to give that information back. And people write in because there's not information about that stuff. And also they tell me, uh, who's got an AZ hive? Anybody? I heard, yeah, I want one of those. So, you know, maybe we'll, we'll connect someday. And, um, you know, I don't know, Bob, do you want to share any other comments? Yeah, I would. So, uh, you know, in addition to the BK Corner, Kevin also shoots videos uh, for a YouTube channel for our club, Northwest New Jersey Beekeepers. And I, there's at least 150 or more. But there's, uh, there's one video on there that's not on there that I would really <laughs> like to tell you guys about. So uh, I was at Kevin's. We were out in the uh, bee yard one day. And he says, oh, I got a swarm. And then we look at the swarm, and the swarm's probably, you oh God, about 35 feet, right? One of those. So what happens? Now, we weren't prepared for this, right? So we just looked at it. And I was like, oh, come on. Oh, no, we can do this. So one of the gadgets that we made is we have a, you know, a long pole, an extendable pole that we bought at Home Depot. It goes about 25 feet. And uh, we put a, took a water jug and cut the bottom off of it, and we use it to catch swarms that are way out of reach. So uh, Kevin goes out, he gets his 10 or 12 foot uh, step ladder, and we extend this pole 25 feet in the air, and it's, it's kind of wobbling because it gets a little bit unsteady like that. Now you gotta picture this, so there's Kevin. Kevin is climbing up this ladder, I'm holding the ladder. He's got this pole, and he's, whoop, gives it a hit, and the bees come raining down on us. Now, we're not wearing any protective gear at all. No veil, no jacket, no nothing. So I'm, I'm running, I'm trying to get away, and he says to me, are you getting stung? And I go, no, no, no. Because we're on the YouTube video. <laughs> and we're both getting lit up. And I, I turn around to him and I say, yeah, there's two master beekeepers catching a swarm. So that was, that was one of my favorite shows that never uh, saw the light of day. The best part of the video is my wife Sharon was mowing the grass and she stopped and she's standing on the other side of the tree line and she's just laughing hysterically and it's coming through the back of the film of this. And so we went and got a suit and did it again <laughs> and we still didn't get those bees so they had put comb up there and they were really anchored to the thing but we, we were, yeah we got stung quite a bit there. That was fun though. Um, I wanted to ask, anybody want to make any comments or say anything? Hey, Rich Morris. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, before I exactly knew who you were, and I've shared this with a lot of people, that one of the things I really like is the fact that you shared the high split bomb wrong. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, just, I've shared it with a lot of people because you know, it shows that, okay, here's someone who knows what he's doing. He's not a first-year guy. And things don't always go right. And I think that sort of also epitomizes your whole show, is that, okay, yeah, we're just finding our way through. So, yeah, I think that's nice. I, I always uh, take the perspective, I might be a master beekeeper, but I'm just a backyard person like the rest of you. Um, you, you're, those people are my peeps. There was a time when... Plus, it was funnier than hell. <laughs> <laughs> she said it was funnier than hell. Bob, Bob kind of pokes me every once in a while because there was a time when I said to him, Bob, I have this theory. Nature will provide. 
so I'm not going to feed the bees. That's I'm not going to do it. I went through a whole season and all my heart started. <laughs> but I made that mistake so you don't have to. Because I really wanted to know, would they compensate? I live in farmland. You would think they'd be able to find the forage and whatever. But the dearth is the dearth and the answer is. So now when I do beginner beekeeping and people say, well, do I really need to feed? I know the answer. The answer is you do. And I have proven that to the extremes. And, you know, there's other things that we've done. Hive joins and splits and, and things like that where we've made mistakes and you can find them in the catalog. The, the cool thing is everything's been cataloged and you could go back and listen to a particular segment and I do that. I do that quite a bit. And, and I have to say this, um, there's many times where you find some of these resources out on the internet that don't get their due. They don't, Emory, George Emory, anybody know George Emory? Has a website. Mm -hmm. There's so much information in those pink pages. Amazing stuff. Uh, what's the guy that Roger takes care of his stuff? It's a really old-fashioned, he passed away, he was in England. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Oh, I'm so mad that I don't remember his name. But this website is amazing. There's so much information on techniques and styles and other things. And when you Google it, it it's so accurate today. Roger Patterson takes care of it now after the guy passed away. And, yeah. What is it? David, yes, you're right. What's his name? David what? Cashman. Cushman. Dave Cushman. That's it. Amazing Cushman. resource. So, Dave Cushman. Uh, look, I, this has been more memory lane for us or whatever, but <laughs> I, I guess the thing that I'll say to everybody from a podcast standpoint is, I've enjoyed it. I'm going to keep going. I appreciate the support. I, I want to take just one minute and say, Bob, we do this all the time, and we're going to do this all the way home. Anything you learn here at EAS this year? Uh, let's see. I wrote it all down, but I can't remember it. So, But that, that's the whole point. I think why people like the podcast is uh, we're just two guys trying things out. And, and Kevin, you know, we're going to try this. And it didn't work. Okay, it didn't work. Why? You know, we talk about our queen rearing experience the last couple of years. And, you know, we haven't been very successful, but we've learned along the way, and we've gotten better every single year. And I think that's what people like about the podcast. Yeah, I, I think uh, we've been to a lot of different shows, too. We go to Philly Guild all the time. We go to the Chester County Beekeepers Association yep. and hear what everybody says. And I try to do my best to bring you what's going on out in the world. Uh, you know, we'll do a post-mortem on this. Is that the right term? <laughs> we'll do a uh, review. <laughs> Wait a second. You don't want to go there, do you? About the uh, necropsy? Huh? huh? No. no. Yeah, okay. go ahead. Okay, so. <laughs> necropsy. <laughs> I never wanted to become a master beekeeper because I, I was retired and Kevin said, study with me out to the master beekeeper exam. And I said, Kevin... Read my lips. I'm retired. I'm never taking another test again, and I'm never working another day in my life. 
Okay, so that was back in uh, 2017, and Kevin came down. He he was really not not prepared, hadn't studied a whole lot, but he Pretty just persistent. just took it right <laughs> off the top of him, and he passed two of them, two of the four segments. So uh, I saw that he did that, and the next year he said to me, "Come on, Bob. Again, you know Kevin. He's he never lets lets it go. Bob, come on, study with me. Study with me. Become a master beekeeper." So. The next year, 2018, I had the luxury of being retired. I mean, I studied all winter long. What else is there to do, right? So I studied and studied. And I, I mean, I had Dewey Karen's book memorized front to back, back to front. So we come up and we, uh, we take the exam. And of course, for those of you who've taken the exam, it's an emotional roller coaster that whole week, right? <laughs> you, you go through the written exam and you walk out of it and you go, oh my God. I studied for so long, and you know what? I failed. You have God. What about this one? And uh, this question, and that question. And then the next day, you take the uh, the, the Wait, lab I exam. To, I have to say that that was a, a moment in itself. We both reviewed the question. We both reviewed what we answered. And if one of us felt the other one got it right, and the other one got it wrong, we'd be like, oh, my God, I can't believe I got that wrong. And we flip-flopped. Through both of them, we were both convinced after we were done, we completely failed the test. Yeah. Com so, completely failed it. <laughs> so, so, so let me digress then. My favorite question, we all have favorite questions from the Master Beekeeper exam, right? I'll see how many of you can answer this one. Who and in what year discovered the vowel fold in the queen bee? That was a question on the exam. You don't get to answer. Uh, uh, not you, you know. We talked about it last night at dinner. All right, so you got to go home and research that one because that was one I got wrong. Yes, Lisa, she knows. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, we go through this and uh, we get to the end. And the last day, you know, you sit down and they, when they give you your exam back, they don't put your grade like right on the front. So you look at it, and you can either go, I passed, I failed, or, you know, get it over with, right? You have to go through, you go through page by page by page by page, right, by page. And you get to the last page and there's your score. So uh, I get to the last page and I passed. I passed the whole thing. First shot. Wow, great. Kevin, Kevin, how'd you do? And he, he gets this look. Well, one of the essay questions that, we, that year was, describe how you would do a necropsy on a beehive. And I'll let you take it from here. Kevin was an EMT, so he had a whole different idea of what, what a necropsy was. What Deb was asking us is, you know, do a post-mortem on a beehive. Kevin has done it a zillion times. He's, he's had podcasts about it. He's written about it. I mean, he knows how to do it backwards and forward. I had literally just taught a course on necropsy <laughs> to our group like three weeks before I could explain it by sleep. And I went through the whole test and I passed everything. All I needed to do was find out what my score was on the... Essay. Essay question. Not even passed. And I went down to Deb Delaney and I said, Deb, I know what a necropsy is. I just didn't understand the word. A necropsy is dead tissue of a human being, blah, blah, blah. I gave the EMT description because that's what I do. But I said, I understand now because as soon as I figured it out, I took out my phone and looked it up and it's an insect autopsy. And I'm like, this is how you do it. You do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. She goes, that's exactly right, but you got it wrong. 
So I had to come back another year. It's devastated. Well, well, so what she said was, you know, well, Kevin, you're the only one in yeah, the entire class that didn't know what a necropsy was. So anyway, those five points cost him his master beekeeper exam that year, and he had to study a whole other year to come back and finally get his get his uh. His, his exam and passed his exam. And I have to say that Bob stuck with me and studied on that second year. Came back and helped me out. All the way down to South Carolina, yeah. quiz, quizzing him. Yeah. So, uh, but it was a journey and I'm glad we're here with all the master beekeepers. Learned a lot just studying for that exam. I, yes. Oh. Hold on. Let's get you in the mic. Lisa? You had asked if we had any questions. First, it was late, Bob, but I don't remember the, name, the year of the Balfour. <laughs> 1944. Uh, it was late, 44, Bob. 1944. 1944. Okay. <laughs> um, thank you guys for doing this. This is wonderful. And you had asked Bob what he learned, and I was thinking back over the last couple of days what I've learned. And I've learned a lot. I always learn a lot here um, at EAS. But the thing that um, really has resonated with me this year, I think that um, COVID has brought a lot of this feeling about. Um, Jamie Ellis said it, but um, Deb Delaney just radiates it. Um, the, um, there are a couple other speakers that also radiate it. And that is, we've got a lot of problems out there with the Heidi population. But together, the scientific community and we as beekeepers, and including commercial beekeepers, sideliners, backyard beekeepers, we can do it together. We can solve this problem yeah. together. And we are a community. And I tell you, there's been like three or four times I wanted to break down crying because I have just felt this amazing community, this amazing love. Yes, that's it. And the, what, the other thing that resonated, it's not just, it's a love for each other, it's a love for our bees. John, John um, Benham radiates this too, yeah. is that he loves his girls. I mean, I I miss my girls in the wintertime when I'm not out in the apiary because it's too dark cold. Because I miss the, um, the buzz and I miss the working together and I just get out there and it's exciting. So thank you guys for doing this. Yeah, thanks. thanks Lisa. I, I'll share something that Bob said to me the other day. If you don't know Bob, he's like the consummate helper. <laughs> He'll drop the Doylestown, which is... 40 minutes from his house to mentor someone because they called him and he didn't want to let him down. And he said to me, he's been in bees. This is what's great about, I work for a living and I, I have a really demanding job sometimes. I don't, I live vicariously through Bob. Bob's in bees every day. And he said to me the other day, when we first got here, he goes, you know, you realize this is the first day I've been in bees. <laughs> and what, how long? No, since, since. Couple days, it's right? It's he was going through withdrawal, like you were saying, right? <laughs> Loves his bees. Loves them. So, yeah, look, uh, 45 minutes. Wanted to just kind of end it there. Uh, we will probably cover a lot of things as we debrief on the way home. That's the cool part. We could have flown here. We drove. 10 hours down, we talked bees all the way here. 10 hours back, we'll talk bees. We just love it that much. And uh, I promise we'll keep doing it. Um, sorry if this was a little self-centered in that thing, but I, I don't ever get to express the sentiment about, you know, the background on the show itself. And when I get to Milestone 200, I say to myself, 
I should thank my wife because all the hours I spend prepping, recording, producing, and she lives with it. I've dragged her to, to remotes. We went on vacation in Seattle and the, like what Aaron showed, they have a Seattle bee garden. I made arrangements with this woman. She changed the plans a couple times while we were there. But we ended up going, and we didn't go to one of the vacation things we had planned, so I could go get that recording. And she rode along with me. She loved the garden and all that. So I, I have to acknowledge that. And the other cool thing is my twin brother. I've asked him, you know, over the years, you want to be, 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 he finally started last year. So now he calls me all the time, and he's the new bee. <laughs> he's so green like grass. And it's so weird to go back to where he is. It makes me remember what it was all about. So I just want to say, you know, thanks to you guys. It's, it's, it's nice for both those of you who are sitting here and those who have uh, supported the program over the years. Um, it keeps me going. It does. I, there was a time when I was wondering whether I had anything else to say. And, um, you know, people kept writing in and, and asking questions and doing whatever. And it just keeps that curiosity and you know, there's nothing better, right, Russ, than that's a really great question. <laughs> so with that, like our beloved bees, when beekeepers go together, they can accomplish great things. And thanks, Bob, for being with me. Hey, congratulations, Kevin. <laughs>